0: Let's start in verse 1. Let's read verses 1 through 5. Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Galilee, I'm sorry, the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. How many of you have read this a couple times in your life? The Christmas story, huh? Well, the stage has been set for the son of God. Uh, to enter the world. Although Scripture has been silent for 400 years, God is at work. He's been preparing the the way for the good news. 300 years before Christ, 300 years before what we're reading right here, Alexander the Great came and conquered the known world, as was prophesied in the 8th chapter of Daniel. It said that Alexander the Great came into Jerusalem. He had a dream. He met with some other uh, people. some of the priests who also had a dream and he read the 8th chapter of Daniel and he was totally blown away at what had happened. And as a result of Alexander the Great's conquest, the world was introduced to a common language, Greek. How many of you have had cultural barriers? I sometimes have one when I'm trying to order my favorite food in San Diego. And I want it so badly to get right that sometimes I don't know the right words to say. I don't speak Spanish very well. But I've learned survival Spanish. But if you're going to have a have a message that wants to go that's going to be spread throughout the world you need to have a common language. And it's amazing that all of a sudden Greek comes on the scene. Well, how are you going to get that common language everywhere? What, what happened next in world history? The Romans conquered the Greeks and what did the Romans Romans build? Roads. And all the roads led to Rome. And so there's this vast network of roads all throughout the world. And so you have a language, you have a way to spread the message, And but now you need the message. And so there was that universal language and there were roads to take the gospel to the known world. And now God sovereignly directs the most powerful man in the region, Caesar Augustus, the first emperor of Rome, to conduct a census that would cause everyone to go to their city of, of their ancestors to register. And so Joseph verse four tells us, Uh, that he is a descendant of David. And he's from the city of David. He's of the tribe of of, uh, Judah. And this was all according to God's plan because 700 years earlier, it was prophesied by Micah the prophet that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. It says in Micah 5.2, but you, Bethlehem, uh, Ephthath, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So Micah says the king without beginning, the king without end is going to come, is going to be born in the city of David. This is all prophesied hundreds of years before any of this happens. And this is why people look at the Bible and they go, there is no way that that could have been written because those things are so accurate. It was written after the fact. King Cyrus had a problem with that. When he actually read his own name in the Bible a couple hundred years before he was, uh, came on the scene, he was prophesied that he would be king. And here he is king, and he opens up the scriptures and reads it and freaks out. God tells us that he's God and that he knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. Because he's outside of time. And that's the way he wrote the scriptures. To where if you just take one part of it out and you get rid of it, you still have one book of the Bible. It still has that aspect of the prophecy of God telling the end from the beginning. You see it hidden in the very first few chapters of the Bible in Genesis where it says in Genesis 3, 16, 17, right around there. And I will put, uh, there will be war basically between you and the woman. I shall put enmity between you and her, between your seed and her seed. And he shall strike your heel, but you shall he shall crush your head. And, and that was a prophecy about Jesus coming eventually to crush the enemy, Satan. But it was very veiled in the Old Testament. And as you go further and further, like in Isaiah 7.14, uh, where, where we read, It says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 700 years before Christ. That's pretty straight out. So it's amazing how the Bible just starts funneling down and funneling down as closer you get to the person of Jesus Christ. And reveals him. And there he is. The Savior of the world. Born in a town of Bethlehem, just as it said. And the odds of him being able to fulfill all these prophecies, and not even knowing what's going on, basically, at this point, is just absolutely amazing. God is at work. God is at work in the government. God is at work in human nature. He's he's at work when things aren't going right, when there are wars, when there are people conquering places, when there's language barriers, when there's all this stuff. God is at work. And His whole desire is that men and women would be saved. And verse 6 says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I find this absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, God in the flesh, is born to a humble servant named Mary, who was poor as we'll see next week. And she's wrap, wrapping this child in, in clothes and placing him in an animal stall. Now, we see the very characteristics of God on display. You want to know what God's like? He's like this. I would think that such royalty... How many of you would have a different plan if you were going to bring the king of the universe into the world? Yeah, yeah you know, I would definitely have that. I would think that such royalty would enter the world in the best of circumstances. To the most royal family in the most pristine environment at the most safe time in the world? Who knows? Yet God didn't set it up that way. But rather, God came to us as a baby to really poor parents of humble stature and environment meant for animals. 1 Corinthians speaks of the character of God in chapter 1, verse 26. His brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. How many of you long to be wise by human standards? There's nothing wrong with education, but how many of us boast in what we've done in our education and all these things? And we kind of, you know, we try to be humble, but you know, we've got a little edge on everybody else or whatever it might be. Just me. No, I'm just kidding. But look at that. You see, God's wisdom, God's heart, His character is not man's character. He doesn't go for the the best, the brightest, and all those types of things. He goes for those who are humble in heart. And He started with Himself. Because that's who He is. Read in Proverbs 3, 34. It says, "He He has no use, I love the Good News translation. It says, He has no use for conceited people, but shows favor to those who are humble. Jesus expressed the full heart of the Father. Jesus was truly humble, as we look at Jesus, because that was His nature. That's who He was. He longed to be with those who were nothing in this world's eyes. He was born that way, and He lived that way. Jesus would later say in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28-30, He says, Come to Me, all of you who are weary and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke, upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light jesus is humble he came from humble circumstances yes he was king of kings and the lord of lords but he condescended he came down and become one of us and not just one of us at the top one of us where at the bottom to where even in his ministry, when, when uh, Herod said to him, Hey, you know, basically, I want to I want come, have Jesus come and do tricks for me. Jesus said, You tell that fox, you know, take a hike, but basically, I don't have a home. He says, I don't even have a home. Foxes have homes, all have holes, and birds have nests. And the son of man has no place to lay his head. He was homeless. And yet he found a home and all the people that were called. It was really amazing, that was his, his family. But Jesus was humble. And so the humble circumstances that Jesus was born into was by design. Jesus was not an aristocrat, but rather a humble servant reaching out to those who were poor in spirit to give them eternal life. Those are the people God reaches out to. He doesn't reach out to the proud. He cast his net there, but they don't want it because they have pride. Because I have pride. How many of you struggle with pride? God calls out and says, come to me and give up that relationship. Give up that circumstance. Lay down your whole life. And we say, no. Why do we say no? Because I'm on the throne. That's more important. You see, the humble of heart says, I am so poor in spirit. I know that nothing can fill me except for you. And the thing is, is when we surrender our hearts to Jesus Christ, he begins to fill us with himself. And then the riches flow. And then the relationships come. And all the things that God desires for us to have on this earth begin to satisfy in the way that they should. And they are no longer idols in our lives. And it's beautiful. Not saying that Jesus is, God is a cosmic ATM. That's not what I'm saying. That we get whatever we want when we come to Jesus, but things are put in proper perspective. And so, verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were what? They were terrified. Again, angels are out of this world, in, the, in their glorified state. They are scary. They're not the little fat cherub babies. They're fierce. Eyes of fire and legs of bronze and like burnished in the flame. It's amazing stuff. But verse 10, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Here we see that God sent an angel of the Lord to some shepherds in the fields outside of Bethlehem, which would have been the fields that King David would have been tending his sheep in and maybe that Ruth was gleaning in. It's a very uh, it's a very close-knit community. I don't know. I've been there. It's interesting. I'm standing on the edge of Jerusalem overlooking to Bethlehem just a short ways away. Walla-walla to Milton Free Water kind of thing. There's some fields in between. That's the kind of the feel of it. And there they are. And I think it's very interesting. uh, As Marcus Corder pointed out on our Tuesday morning Bible study at the Christian Aid Center, a shepherd was often a servant's job. A shepherd was often a servant's job. Uh, when we were introduced to King David in First Samuel 16, his older seven brothers were all there in line to see if they'd be anointed by king by Samuel. And they went through each one. They said, no, 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 no. And then they go, where, where, do you have any more kids? And they're like, oh, yeah, there's David. He's out there with the sheep. The youngest, the least, was out with the sheep. And so a shepherd was often associated with a servant's role, and it's fitting for the messenger of God to come to the shepherds to give them the good news rather than a king, isn't it? He came to the humble, he came to the servant, he came to the least. And isn't it interesting also, as Marcus pointed out, you have sheep tending sheep that would be sold and used as sacrifices in nearby Jerusalem. And here you have a little lamb, the Son of God, who would be sold for 30 pieces of silver and sacrificed upon a cross 30-something years later from this time we're reading. Beautiful pictures. But notice what the angel said to the shepherds. First in verse 10, he says, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. The angel is bringing good news. The word for good news is where we get the word gospel. I'm bringing you the gospel. The gospel is good news. Amen. Amen. The angel saying, I'm bringing you the gospel. Don't be afraid. This is good news. It's the exact opposite of what you should be experiencing right now. You should be experiencing such joy and freedom that God would grace your presence with such grace and love and forgiveness. It's beautiful. And this good news is going to cause great joy for all people. And this is what the good news of Jesus causes in the hearts and lives of all who receive the good news. It causes joy. It causes joy. When I see people who are focused on the truth that Jesus Christ has saved them and that this world is not their home and that they are waiting for his imminent return and what he will do for them on their behalf and what he has done, there is joy in the midst of circumstances. See, happiness is based on circumstances. You are happy when the Seahawks win. I am not. (laughs) You were laughing when the Chargers lost to the last place Browns last night. You didn't know that. You can laugh now. You're a ha-ha. I was not happy. uh, Happiness is based upon circumstances. But joy is not based upon circumstances. It's based upon faith and a sure hope that can never be taken away. That through faith in Jesus Christ, my sins, your sins, are taken away. We are saved from the wrath of God and are given eternal life. No matter what hardships... Come our way. We have the joy as we fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I love that. Our faith is not in a team. It's not in politics. It's not in people of this world. It is in the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who is victorious, who reigns, who's seated at the right hand of the Father. And this is what the angels tell the shepherds. In verse 11, it says, Today, in the town of David, the Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah of the Lord. <clears throat> I don't have time to go into the Messiah and the Lord, but we see here that Jesus is identified. His title is Savior. The name Jesus means Jehovah saves. Jehovah is the name of God, and saves means He saves. God is salvation. That's the name of Jesus. Did you know that? That's what it means. Jesus is salvation. Every person is born in rebellion to God and by nature a sinful and separated and deserving the death and eternal separation from God. And I believe me, I know, I don't even want to hear it. Do you? Because I'm prideful. Who wants to hear about bad things? I just, just tell me lollipop dreams on Christmas morning. Tell me all the goodness. Who wants to hear about hell, you know? There's no good news unless there's bad news, my friends. The bad news is we all blew it. And we blow it not because we blew it. We blew it because that's who we are. That is our nature. And we might look at one person and go, oh, well, that's how you blow it. Well, look at them. Well, guess what? Your depravity is expressed in a totally different way. Mine is too. We're all, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God calls that death. And that death is what permeates the world in the world system, in the darkness. And everybody is running around going, oh, look at how wonderful life is. And they breathe it. You ever notice you're just not satisfied after one thing? You got to have something else and something else and something else and something else. Where does that come from? Where did that start? Maybe when you're a kid. Do you have to teach kids to do good or bad They learn bad. Where do they learn bad from? You. Me. (laughs) I'm a perfect model of what not to do. Anyone else? I have to train them in righteousness, right? This is why evil will always triumph in in a culture because it's easier for everybody to say, the heck with good. I just want to do what I want. But we need a Savior. To save us from the penalty, and that is what Jesus came to do. The Bible says that the soul that sins shall die. Sin is just going against what God said. And we see God's law, and people go, oh, well, God's law, I want to take it off of you know, this and that. I don't care whether you take it off. It's, it's, it's universal. You know it's wrong to lie. You know it's wrong to murder. You know it's wrong to commit adultery. When you're having sex outside of marriage, before marriage, you know that you are under the condemnation of God because he says, that is not how I designed it. That is not the way I made it. You better repent or you will experience my justice. Jesus reaffirmed it. Paul reaffirmed it. And I'm just pointing out things that I've been guilty of, okay? Before the Lord, amen. (laughs) So, and obviously in our hearts, but the laws there. Do not lie, do not steal, do not murder, do not commit adultery. These are good things, don't you? Do you? How many of you want to be cheated on? How many of you want to be lied to? How many of you want to be murdered? How many of you parents want to be dishonored? We look at God's law as somehow something that's just so archaic and dumb. It's beautiful. It's for our blessing. It's for, it's for the good of the society. But guess what? We can't keep it. It shows us what our nature is. What is our nature? Don't touch. I want to touch. Don't lie. I'm a liar. I'm first to admit it. Not cast in stones. The Lord has saved all of that in me. And we find that we've fallen short of God's perfect law. We have all missed the mark of perfection. We've sinned and are guilty before God. And so we find that God is holy and sinless and demands that sinless perfection from us. But guess what? I don't have it. I want it, but I don't have it. I try and I can't get it. Anybody else there with me? Yeah, this is the humanity. And so we wrap ourselves in religion and good works and all this type of stuff, but we're still wrapping ourselves when the core of who we are are pigs. And we love the mud. I love the mud. Anybody else love the mud? He knows that we're incapable of attaining that. No amount of good works and all that could ever change our nature. We must be saved from who we are given a new nature, a new person. We must be born again. That's what the Bible is getting at. It's not about reforming on the outside. That's religion. You see, the reason why someone who loves Jesus does what they do is because they've been changed on the inside, not because they're trying to please him in some, oh gosh, I hope I don't get hit this week. It's because you've been saved and you've been changed and because his life is in you now that you go, man, I want to read my Bible somehow. Let's do that. Man, I want to go tell someone about Jesus. Man, I want to love that person. i got to stop talking that way. Lord, change that in me. And you start, it's a, it's a joy, it's a conviction. And then as the Holy Spirit takes over, you're just, man, you're a new creation. But see, the dead person doesn't care about this. And if you're this morning, you're going, oh my gosh, will you please be quiet? You're dead. Not because I'm most entertaining, because these words are life. And you need a new heart. You need to cry out to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. Because you're headed towards an eternity apart from him. And Jesus is the light. Why is he the light? Because the world is what? Dark. And I know darkness. I've played around it. I've been there. And then I've seen a great light. And I've been changed from the inside out. How do you know? Because I know what darkness and his light is. How many of you have been caught in darkness? And then Jesus came and a light happened in your life. Yeah. And so God in his perfect holiness... He loved us in our helpless condition. He sent his perfect sinless son. He became one of us to live the righteous sinless life as a man, as a person that we could not. And he died in our place, the innocent for the guilty. You see, guilty life can't pay for guilty life. Do you know that? Innocent life can only pay for guilty life. And that's what the Lord did. He was innocent and he died on our behalf to take away our sins at the cross. and Through faith in his death for us in the resurrection of the third day, we will be born again and given eternal life, no longer unable to respond to God, no longer dead and not caring. The light is on, and you hear him, and you see him, and you feel him, and you respond to him, and you break his heart, you know it. And you're changed. And his spirit's within us now, leading us in his righteous path, and when we start to veer off, we feel it. Amen? We go, oh man, I've got to go back. Still have a dumb, stupid body attached to us that we'll be getting rid of and getting a new one to fit our new spirit. But those who haven't, you're dead. And you will remain dead and eternally separated from the Lord in eternity. Death is not just the body, it's a, it's a condition of the spirit. And when this body dies, we're promised a new body fitting with our new spirit. So Jesus came to save us, amen. This morning, know that if you have yet to receive Christ as your savior, you're still dead in your sins. And I don't say that in a, in a condemning way. I say that as someone who understands what that's like, who's been totally there, totally caught up in struggle. I'm not Jedi master. But Christ humbled himself for you, And desires to forgive you and make you born again with a life, with a new life, with a new spirit and a promise of eternal life. But you must believe, you must humble yourself and believe upon Jesus to save you. And by the way, if you're even interested in that, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. That's his idea. That's what he does. Because dead people don't respond to anything. But when God comes around, life starts to happen. And this was the purpose of Christ's first coming. To save you, to save me, and to bring us joy that will never end. And let me tell you, when your sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west, there is joy. And when you fall again and you know that that's paid for, you go, thank you. And you don't keep doing it because, you know, hey, I got this free ticket. It's ridiculous. Now you've been changed. And this is why the angels burst out in praising God. Verse 13 Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The good news is so good to a lost and dying world. The angels can see that we cannot see as we are blinded by sin. The angels see what we can't see. I don't know how many times I've read this, maybe before when I was younger, I didn't care, and Reading and go, yay, the angels are happy, let's move on. But they cry out, praising God for his merciful plan, that he would be that merciful. You see, they're in his presence day and night. And they understand a dimension and a perspective that we don't. You know, one of the most fascinating things we find is that I can go talk to someone on the other side of the world right now. And... Let's go, let's, let's just say, you know, we'll rewind 100 years ago. And I walk in with this thing and say, I'm going to talk to someone on the other side of the world right now. And people are going to go, you are the dumbest human being on earth. You can't do that. It takes forever to get anything anywhere. You see, there's a lack of knowledge. There's a lack of understanding in those people of what this could do and what the communication can be. You see, I'm, I'm expressing to you something of the spiritual dimension. I'm expressing to you something that you cannot see, but is just as real as the communication that's flying through your body and the radiation that's going through this room and all the other things that are going on right now that we somehow believe we be verified by science. And yet we have prophecy and things that have happened over and over and over and over again. God's way of telling us, and yet we go, oh, I don't like that because it's not science. Or whatever it might be. I've been there too. I have a brain. I want to know what's real. See, God requires us to be humble. He says, I resist the wisdom of this world. I resist the wisdom of the proud. You've got to become like a child and believe in me. Not childish, childlike faith. And so he says, peace on earth to those whom, on whom God's favor rest." Yet, you see, his peace is not upon those who reject the Son of God. Did you know that? But on those whom the favor has, has rested. John's Gospel says it best in John 3. How many of you guys know this? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. You're like, yeah, Jesus didn't come to condemn. Yeah, cool, God sent Him to save, but you've got to keep reading. Verse 18, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's only Son. You see, the world is already condemned. He's come to save those who already have. The sentence in our waiting to actually experience the judgment, so to speak. How about Romans 5.1? Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace through God. With God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the peace of God, the joy of God, is for all who have placed their faith in Christ entirely to save them. And as Christians this morning... We celebrate the birth of our Savior this morning. We celebrate the light that has shined into the darkness of our lives and who has given us eternal life in the joy of the Spirit. Amen? That's what it's about. Regardless of what Roman did what, at what time and whatever, we are choosing as a people, as a culture, to honor Jesus Christ this morning to say, You know what? Thank you for coming into this world. Thank you for shining your life, for being so humble to come to me. In my helpless estate, when I was a rebel, you know, this morning you might be a rebel, you might be humble, you might say, "No way, God could ever do it." He's, he could come to me. Listen, that's exactly who Jesus comes to—the humble, the broken struggling and I find it at times when God comes to me and he'll speak to my heart about something and and, and I'll just say Lord I I don't have what it it takes to do that and he's just asking me he's like I I know you don't come to me and I will do it how many of us have had the message clean yourself up and come to me that's not what Jesus said. said come to me and I'll clean you up I'm the only one who can you need a changed heart step towards me I'll change your heart you can't change your heart you're dead And I find that as I step towards the Lord, he softens me. As I step towards the Lord, he makes it easier for me to give up or to turn or to change my mind about someone or something or a way of thinking. Anyone else? He's so good. He's so humble. And his his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And what we find is that when we give our hearts to Jesus and our lives to Jesus, our lives become light. And if you have a heavy yoke this morning, you got something else other on than Jesus. It doesn't say you won't have tribulation in this world, but there should be a joy overriding our lives. So call out to Jesus this morning. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, He loves you so much. He's in the business of making dead men alive, dead women alive. And he's humble. And he cares for you. Let's just read the last few verses together. And when the angels had left them, they gone and gone into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, "Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about." And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. The gospels contagious. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Verse 9, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Lord, we just come before you this morning, and I thank you for Luke's approach, talking to this guy He's probably some uh, Roman politician somewhere, and he's writing this letter to him, and he's telling him about the certainty of the things that he's been taught. And Lord, we are reminded this morning of the certainty of our salvation, the certainty of Jesus coming as an actual human being, dying for our sins, and rising again. You are the light of the world, Jesus. And I pray you'd shine brightly this morning. And any heart and soul that has not given their hearts to Jesus, I would call out to him this morning. If that's you, call out in your heart. Right now, he hears you. Say, Lord, save me. I'm dead. I'm dark. And if you're even questioning it, call out. Call out to him in your heart. I'm not going to make you stand up or do backflips and all that stuff. Just between you and Jesus. And if your heart's far from the Lord this morning, if you know that your heart has just been, man, I've been off the path, and you feel the Holy Spirit calling you back to the light this morning to walk in the light as he is in the light, that's for you. So please call out to the Lord and let him cleanse your heart. Jesus says that if, John says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful to cleanse you and forgive you of all unrighteousness. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen.